0: Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians. We're back in Ephesians. Yay! All right. Back in Ephesians, right where we left off in December. Now chapter 4. You remember? It's been a whole piling up of theological truth by Paul here. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. All of this theological firewood. That then at the end of chapter 3, he asks the Spirit to set on fire because only God can do that. And then 4, 5, and 6 are all of the lived out implications of the theology that he's already taught us. And so, here we go. Here we go in this instruction. And we're going to slow down. We're going to slow down and we're going to look at his instruction very, very carefully. So, we're not going to finish Ephesians till August. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Very mixed response. <laughs> <laughs> <You may die. laughs> Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six is where we'll be. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. If you need those sermon notes, just raise your hand. Ephesians four one through six. I'll I'll uh, I'll let the Bibles get finished passing out because. The next question is, is a raise your hand question. Um, and you might all end up with Bibles. Um, but I think we're good. Here's the question. How many of you have been in church for quite some time? Years. We've, we've, you've been in church. Maybe not this one. Maybe, maybe lots of different churches. Maybe you grew up in church. And you've been through several different congregations. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness to you. And you've been in this congregation, that congregation, that church. And And how many would raise their hand if you experienced in that a varying degree of unity from congregation to congregation? Yeah? Varying degrees of unity. And would you say with me that it's a big deal? Yes. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to you. It's a big deal to God. In fact, the title, Us Living Worthy of His Work, sounds almost preposterous. How could we live in a way that's worthy of the calling to which we are called? His work, which makes us His. How could we live worthy of that? Well, not in the sense of meriting his work or deserving his work, but rather in the sense of living out a life together that fits, that is a fitting response to the work of him making us his. That's what we're called to. How do we live a life together that Fits his call. Well, one way is this. Unity. Ephesians 4 is saying that if God has called us to be his, then we should live in a way that fits it. Fits that call. Fits that gospel. That means living in unity. Togetherness. Love for one another. Commitment to each other. Who's interested in that? Yes. Yeah? Yes. About half of us. <laughs> no, we're, we're all interested in that. I, I understand the silent vote. We're all interested in that, sure. Almost everyone is a unity lover. But God is turning us into unity builders It's great to be a unity lover. Let's all be unity lovers. It's easy to be a unity lover. God is turning us into unity builders. You know the difference. Last night I walked into the house. The house smelled wonderful. Naomi had been baking bread. You know what that does to a house? Oh yeah. Oh. Oh, it's great. And the whole house was very appreciative. Oh, yeah. We were all bread smellers. There was one bed break bread baker. She was the one with the apron on, she was the one spattered with flour. One bread baker. We were all very happy to be bread smellers. Oh, yeah. God is turning us into unity builders. We all get aprons, we all get dirty. Because we have unity in Christ, we should be making every effort, and he'll show us how, every effort to live out that unity experientially with one another. Are you ready for that? Oh yes. Okay, well, let's read. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all unity it's a real thing it's a true thing unity is a true thing that's the point that paul's making there in the second half of our passage unity is a true thing it's one for us and we are one in the unity that christ has one for us it's true it's spiritually true unity is a true thing we are united spiritually and here's how we're going to walk through this passage. We're going to start with the second half of this passage and then show how it connects to the first. I think that's going to just work for us for teaching purposes. And this second half of the passage is that unity is a true thing. Paul gives seven examples here of the singularity of our calling together. And his point isn't those seven things. The point is the singularity. The repeated one. But because you list the seven things, we'll walk through them. But since the emphasis is one, we'll repeat it together each time. Right? One body. How many? One. One. Right. Killing it right away. (laughs) One body. One body. The commander... Has many platoons. There's one army. And the commander has deployed many platoons all over the world in all all sorts of different places, and that's okay. The biblical expression of the church has always been the churches. We multiply and strengthen the church by multiplying and strengthening the churches. That's what we see in Scripture. But for unity's sake, let's not forget that every Christian everywhere from all time is a part of one body. And when we're all gathered together to heaven, we will worship him with every Christian from every tribe and every tongue and every nation from every time. Are you ready for that? I mean, this morning was awesome. (laughs) It was just a warm up that the church would be finally with the church together with Him. It helps our unity to remember that. One body, one, what's next in the text? One spirit. One spirit. How many? One, there's one Holy Spirit that is at work in me and is at work in you, is in work at work in all of us. If you're in Christ, there's one Spirit that's at work in you and me, convicting me and you and the person sitting next to you and growing me and you and the person sitting next to you. One Spirit at work. We're not all just motoring along with our own little outboards. There's one wind pushing this whole armada in one direction. And his work is to make every one of us more like Christ. And he's at work. He is at work. It helps our unity to remember that. One body, one spirit, one hope. How many? One. 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 Just one hope. There's, There's an expression that doesn't quite sit right with me. It goes like, my version of heaven is, right? Or, you know, my, my heaven will be like, and I, and I get it, I mean, my, my, my version of heaven will be smoked brisket and big red and no heartburn. I mean, I get it. It's just a playful way of saying the things that we're very, very grateful for. It's fine. But here's the thing. We're not going to compartmentalized heavens. Right. We will be raised to one hope Amen. perfect worship of God, living eternally without sin, in perfect pleasure in Him and perfect pleasure of Him in us. Amen. And what food and fun and feasting will be in the new heavens and the new earth, I could not tell you. <laughs> but it won't be compartmentalized, we'll be together. We'll be right. together feasting together living forever with our one hope Amen. it helps our unity to remember that it, it, doesn't it doesn't it i mean is, is is paul accomplishing what he means to accomplish as he lists these things out does that not like orient us towards the unity that we sometimes fail to realize right. one body one spirit one hope one lord how many one, one. Together, we worship Jesus, not Jesus's. Not your individual, personal, imaginary friend, Jesus. Jesus, the living Lord, who rose from the dead at his coming to judge every soul. The Lord is our Lord. Together. We follow one Lord. One faith. That's what's next. One faith. How many? One. One. The gospel is one faith message. We cling together to that one faith like a life raft. Not a bunch of life rafts. One. That's why Paul, when he's writing in another letter... He, he writes a rebuke that there are those who are trusting in a different gospel. He writes quickly, he adds, which is really not another. That there aren't other gospels really, like the prosperity gospel or the, the gospel of works. These aren't really gospels, they're just falsehoods. Right. There is one faith, which is to say there is one gospel message in which to place our faith faith and Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15 I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and the whole New Testament unpacks the how and the why and the now what of that message and we don't change it and we don't add to it and we don't leave it behind we cling to it together. One baptism. One baptism. How many? One. One. Can you imagine baptism candidates up here on February the 24th? Just in case you didn't know, it's February the 24th. If you have not been baptized as a believer we want you together to proclaim the salvation that has been made yours by grace in Jesus Christ and to stand up here and to proclaim that by baptism as the scripture shows us. But can you imagine to have baptism candidates up here and say, well, I want my baptism to symbolize this and I want my baptism to symbolize this other thing. No, there's one baptism. There is one baptism, it is that you have died to sin and you have been raised to walk in newness of life. That's it. We all go down in the water in the same way and we come up in the same way. Amen. There are lots of different religions, including Judaism, that have baptism-like cleansing rituals. But Christian Baptism is one thing. Declaring what we have all declared, if you are in Christ, and Christians have declared since Christ. It helps our unity to remember that. And one, what's the last one on the list there? One God. One God. How many? And he is over all, Amen. and through all, and in all, and he is our father together. And Paul is saying it helps our unity to remember that. Yeah. Which sets us up for an easy mistake. Right. All of this, so beautiful, so true, so amazing, sets us up for an easy mistake which would be to do this. Well, if all of those amazing things are true, then when it comes to this real lived-out unity amongst brothers and sisters, then we should just have it. We should just have unity. Unity is true, so we should just, it should just be manifest amongst us. Automatically. Automagically. But that is not how Scripture characterizes it at all. Instead, what we see is this. Since all of those amazing things are true, then when it comes to this real lived out unity amongst brothers and sisters, we should do it. We don't just automatically have it. We should do it. Live it. Work at it. Make every effort to live it out experientially because it's true spiritually. I put it in your notes like this. Because unity is a true thing, unity is a do thing. That's what Paul is saying. Let's jump back to the beginning of this passage, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That therefore is one of the most important words in the entire letter. He's saying, because of the theological truth of chapters 1 and 2 and 3, walk in a manner worthy. Our following is grounded in our faith. It must always be. Following without faith is formalism, legalism, moralism. It is mere habit as Hebrews 6.1 would call, dead works. And faith without following is easy believism. Cheap, empty words, sentiment. It is what James chapter 2 would say, dead faith. Following without faith, dead works. Faith without following, dead faith. But together, together, that's faith-filled faithfulness. It's what Scripture calls us to by the grace of God. So what we have here is an instruction sandwich, right? We got an instruction sandwich. Paul's taken the theological truth of chapters 1 and 2 and 3. It's a lot of bread. And he's taken the truth of verses 4, 5, and 6. What we just walked through, right? One God, one Lord, one Spirit. And he places in between them, he grounds in those truths this instruction, walk in a manner worthy. Walk in unity. Do unity. Step out in unity, trusting these truths. You see me make this gesture a lot, I think. I feel like I do this a lot. Do you know what this means? (laughs) you know what I'm meaning when I'm doing it? Here's here's what I'm representing with this. That you're taking the truth that God has declared, a truth like, because you are together in Christ, because you are united in Christ, you're united in one body, then, then step out and stand on my truth. And do all of those things with the tenderness and gentleness and humility that befits brothers and sisters. It's true. Now do it. In faith. In faith. Because unity is a true thing. Because unity is a true thing. Unity is a do thing. Do you understand how that works? Right? You're trusting the truth that God has declared, and so you're going to step out and stand on it and do what he instructs. Right? Trusting that it's true. Like, that's critical. Like, I, I can't move on. I can't move on with this series. I can't go all the way to August. Because we're going to get a lot of instructions. We're going to get a lot of Steps. We're going to get a lot of do this, and do this, and do this, and do this. But if it's just do, 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 and you're not stepping forward in faith-filled faithfulness, then we're in danger of dead works. So somebody say, yeah, you can move on, preacher. Okay, all right. And the rest of you see me after class. So because unity is a true thing, unity is a do thing, how do we do it? Well, Paul tells us about that here. He says this, my paraphrase, get low for it. Get low for it. He says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness. With all humility and gentleness. Here's what I've learned. Just a little haughtiness makes for plenty harshness. Just a little haughtiness in here makes for plenty of harshness out here. And by God's grace, sometimes he puts a cage over my mouth so the haughtiness doesn't come out. But I know. And if by God's grace he's given you a cage too, praise the Lord. But a little haughtiness produces plenty of harshness. That's why humility and gentleness go together. In a church, in a small group, in a family. Like real lived out unity is a precious plant. It is like a thriving green plant. It's wonderful. But a little haughtiness produces harshness that'll scorch that thing faster than you could believe. I saw that in real life in my backyard um, when I got a a yard care tool in the mail that I special ordered called the Green Dragon. You know it. Okay. See, in my backyard, it's just river rocks. It's just rocks. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be just rocks. There, there, are, there are some plants that are supposed to be there, right? These, these are the, what do you call them? The plants that are supposed to be there. And, but also, growing up all through those rocks are weeds. And I don't want to crawl around picking these weeds out. So I ordered the Green Dragon, which is this wand about this long with a tube that connects to a propane tank. And oh, yeah. And and it's got a little striker. And you just crank that thing on. And you you walk around the backyard and weed. And the weed, brr, and then weed that's a little too close to the plant we want to keep, brrr. And I, the fire didn't touch the plant, but it got close enough. And within an hour, I could tell I have made a terrible proximity mistake. And half of that plant is just withered. I know. I should try again. <laughs> Just a little bit of haughtiness, though. Just a little bit of haughtiness produces plenty of harshness and scorches the life out of unity. Oh, yeah. I've seen it in my own house. I've seen it in my own house. Just this past week, Many of you maybe also prayed with me these these prayers that you would ask God to open up your eyes to the depth of your need for him. We We had a prayer emphasis during this past week, and we were asking the Lord for many, many things in prayer. I was asking him to show me my the depth of my need for him. And he showed me, he showed me that I need him in order to walk in humility and gentleness in my home. And if not, if without him, I'm going to walk in fleshly haughtiness and harshness. Maybe in ways I don't even notice. Maybe in ways I don't even notice. But it doesn't take that much to scorch unity. And I realized that in, in, in some ways and in some senses, and I asked the kids if I could share this. They said, fine. In some senses, My leadership as a father was a whole lot more like standing in one place and pointing in the direction that they're supposed to go and then insisting that they get there somehow. Being a little irritated if they didn't. Maybe a lot irritated. And that's just haughty. It's harsh. And here's the point. It is not how God the Father leads me. If God the Father was to lead me with any amount of haughtiness or harshness in proportion to that, if that was the way he was, how severe would my life be? But instead, he helps, and he holds, and he walks, and he has a pleasure to follow all the way, getting me where I need to go. Why can't I be that kind of? Kind of boils down to these two words humility and gentleness. You know, the primary context for this passage is the church, of course, but this applies in every setting. Maybe, maybe a little haughtiness and harshness is happening in your family. Maybe some of that's happening in your heart with your small group or your ministry team. Maybe it's some other setting. But here's what we see when it comes to unity. We get low for it. It's worth it. You might say, well, you just don't know what I have to put up with. Hmm. Yeah, sure, get low. Easy for you to say, you don't know what I have to put up with. Paul was ready for that. Because what comes next? We get low for it, and we forbear for it. We forbear for it. He says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. With patience, bearing with one another in love. Listen, patience isn't passive. It's not like waiting around in the, in, in, for the doctor. Go, like running out of magazines. Just sitting there. I'm being patient. Patient Patience is not passive. It's an active willingness to handle another person with the skill, attitude, and timing that best honors them and the Lord. It's very active. Patience is the active willingness to handle another person with the skill, attitude, and timing that best honors them and the Lord. It's not passive at all. And bearing with one another, bearing with one another, to receive, to take up, to endure. Here's the idea. It's work. Bearing with one another is work. Forbearing is work. Bearing with the failings and the flaws and the foolishness of other people is a lot of work. Can you testify to that? The people who know you can testify to that too. (laughs) Not too many years ago, we had in our small group what I I would describe as as a sacred conversation. And we were, we were already really familiar with each other. We, we had already spent a lot of time holding each other accountable. You know, brother, I, I, I want to grow in my prayer life. Would you hold me accountable to that? Would you encourage me? Like, we, we, we knew what was going on in each other's hearts. But then the, the conversation was a different one. It was the sort where we very openly admitted to one another, not just our failings and flaws, but those failings and flaws which We knew we're annoying to others. We're hard on others. Challenged others to be patient with us. Like you'd have someone say, I I know, brothers, I know. I tend to get defensive when someone points out truth in my life, even when they do it in love. Please be patient with me as I grow in this. And another saying, I I know that I I am pretty selfish with my time. I'm pretty self-absorbed. I know and I I just appreciate your forbearance. Please be patient with me as I grow in this. And then agreeing there amongst one another, we're going to be patient with one another. We are going to forbear. We're going to love. We, yeah, we already know all of these things about one another. We've seen it. We've been forbearing, but now we're going to say it out loud. Not ignoring, not excusing. Forbearing. Means I'm not going to snap back. Means I'm going to let it roll. If I should let it roll. And if I shouldn't let it roll, then what? Handle the other person with the skill, attitude, and timing that best honors them and the Lord. We forbear for it. It's worth it. Unity. It's true. So we do it. Last this. We really want it. Really. We really want it. Really. Really. I know. The staff likes to make fun of the words I use here. It's, it's like it's a regular Thursday joke. Oh, yeah, that's what you're going to say. <laughs> Here's what I mean. When Scripture says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that means we really want it. We are eager. Unity isn't just something we're willing to have. We, it's not just something that we would take or leave. We really want it. And this... We want the real deal. We aren't willing to have fake unity. We're eager to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. True unity based in spiritual reality, not just social convention, not just surface politeness that keeps us from actually engaging each other as spiritual brothers and sisters. We really want it, and we want it really. eager for it. If something were to damage it, we'd get right after it. You can't stand that it would be down. Have you ever knocked down a spider web and like an hour later it's back. Mm -hmm. Like They get after that. You walk from the front yard to the backyard and you run into a spider web and you get through it and you do some yard work in the backyard and an hour later you're moving your way into the front yard. It's back. And it's in your face you probably ate him. (laughs) But he's getting back after that. He is eager to get to the maintaining work because until the maintaining work is done, the catching work can't be done. And so it is with our work. So much of our work to bear fruit in Christ hinges on our work to maintain real unity. Real unity stops, a lot of other things stop too. Yeah, we're eager for his work in us to bear fruit. We want to see joy. We want to see love. We want to see other people that we're talking to come to Christ. We want to see fruit. But how could we say, Lord, I'm eager for this work of yours in me and through me, but I'm not eager for this other work of yours? This work of unity. We don't pick and choose. He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Right. We either want the work of the Spirit or we don't. And the work of unity is hard. But the result is so beautiful. Amen. It's so pleasant. Like the psalm says, how how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. The result is a sweet smell. And we're eager for that sweetness. We, we, we all want to be bread bakers so that we can all be bread smellers. Right? <laughs> now, I just can't let it go without saying this. It is critical that we have in view again what this is all grounded in. Remember we don't want dead works. We want faith filled faithfulness. Fundamentally this work of unity and it is a work. But this work of unity is grounded in Christ's work. It's gospel living. You get low for it because you have Christ's work in view, because you know there is no reason for you to be haughty because you've been saved by grace alone, not because of anything that you've done or anything that you are. In fact, despite of everything that you've done and despite everything that you are, with no reason to be haughty, he saved you by grace. You get low for it. Not just because it's a good idea. With Christ's work in view, you forbear for it. Because you know that he literally bore you at your worst, patiently suffering with joy. So we forbear. We forbear with one another. We eagerly want it because if Christ, eagerly wanting this unity, died for it, then how could we be any less eager for those things for which Christ died? We have Christ's work in view when we do this. It is faith-filled Faithfulness, it's grounded in the gospel. It's not just a fun thing to have this unity. It is a spiritual reality manifest amongst us with Christ's work in view. Does that that make sense? Then, let's have Christ's work in view right now.